uh, scripture today is Ephesians 5, this is verses 18 to 21. It says this. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Ephesians talks about being filled with the Spirit. And a key component of this being filling is gratitude. And I saw this in a way um, the last two to three weeks when I was working on this. I saw this in a way that I had never seen it before. And, and if I can do anything today, what I want to do is I want to blow your mind a little bit with just how deep gratitude goes. So here's what I want you to do today. I want us to think about Thanksgiving in a new way. To understand that it is actually a huge deal. It can really help us. And I'm stealing a bit of this from a uh, bit of this material from my spirit animal doctor, Tim Keller. Uh, okay. So here in Ephesians, in the passage that we read, there are three pieces of being filled with the spirit. One is Paul actually compares it to being drunk. He says, no, don't get drunk. There's a better way to do this. And he compares it and he gives the three, three ideas. And the idea is that uh, songs of the heart, be glad for music. The second thing is, is be thankful. Actually have an attitude of gratitude in everything that you do, giving thanks to God the Father and everything. And the third thing is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he goes into great detail in this, and it's the very basis for all of Ephesians chapter 6, talking about right and ordered relationships with husbands and wives, with parents and children, with employers and employees. And he talks about basic human relationships and says, you know, if you get this right, this is a key to being filled with spirit. Um, today we're going to tackle the first two, music and great things. So, all right. So, Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk. And it's interesting because alcohol is a depressant. It dulls the senses, it dulls the perception, it dulls our ability to, to think clearly. And, and in contrast to that, the gospel, when it, when it intersects with our hearts and with our minds, it actually does the opposite. It actually heightens our perception of reality. It lets us see things more clearly. It's a floodlight. The essence of the Spirit in our life actually gives us a better appreciation of the things that are going on around us. Now, you know, as <laughs> it's ironic to say this, in, in a room with a, with a really nicely stocked bar right over there, <laughs> you know, but alcohol actually gives people um, at least a perception of, right, joy and warmth and courage, knocking out the ability to see reality. Uh, there's a sense of joy when your inhibitions just go the way of the dodo. <laughs> you know, it, it feels very free when your inhibitions are gone. And people will be very courageous or will at least appear to be courageous when they're under the influence of alcohol because they'll forget the ramifications of their situation. There's no consequences. You know, this is good. But the glory of Christ hits us in a similar way in that it gives us joy and warmth and courage. But it doesn't do that from a taking away of things, but rather of an adding to, of, of letting our understanding be heightened. It, if God is great and patient, and he is, it changes everything. And this is a foundation, and it's a key component to being filled with the Spirit, to give thanks in everything, no matter where you are. And it's interesting, because if you look at the great revival through history, they're accompanied by a bunch of stuff. And, and one of the things they're accompanied by is like in signs of the Spirit and healings and like miracles and stuff. But what Paul talks about here is being filled with the Spirit. He doesn't tie it to the sign and the miraculous outcome. He ties it to you. Being thankful. It's just really interesting. Um, there's a great uh, quote 
from the Lord of the Rings, and this is the third book out there, Return of the King, when Sam and Frodo are approaching Mount Doom, and, and they, the fellowship is broken, they're, they're deep into the journey, it's just Sam and Frodo, and, and they're crossing this plain of an ancient battlefield, and there's, there's just death all around them, it's very bleak, it looks very grim, they're just exhausted, they're tired, they're worn out. And and they're starting to it's starting to get to them a bit, and the ring is just getting heavier and heavier to put up. And it, and one at one point, Tolkien says this, speaking from Sam's perspective, says this: There, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark core high up in the mountain, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart, and as he looked up out of the forsaken land, hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small impediment. There was light and high view forever beyond its reach. And I love this idea. I love this thought that even in a situation where it looks bad on paper, we can be filled with hope. That we can be filled with gratitude. And we can know, we can know that everything is not lost. And we can be thankful even in the midst of, even in the shadow of doom, as it were. Um, and, and there are two ideas. There are two ideas of this. And, and one is that it's the hope that Tolkien has. It's the idea that, that Paul leads us to, that we can be thankful, we need to actually have grat- gratitude in everything. And the other is, how to say it, a sense of defiance. It's just it's rooted in ourselves. It's all about me, right? And, and there's a difference between defiance and hope. You know, the defiance is, I can do it, and I'm going to do it no matter what. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do it out of my own, out of my own strength. There was a when I was in college at OU, there was a I took a class in class in mythology, and the, the professor was a guy named Doctor Doty, which is an unfortunate name, but he, he was a smart guy, and he was walking us through the Odyssey. And at one point, we get to the point where Odysseus is he encounters this thing in his journey called there's a place where he encounters Scylla and Caribbean. Now, the one was a giant whirlpool sucking ships to their doom. The other was a giant sea monster. And what, what, he, what Odysseus is trying to do is he's trying to, to, to thread the needle, right? He's, he's trying to get right in between these two things so he's not destroyed by either one. And it's not a given that this is going to happen. So, you know, it, it's literally where the, the phrase between a rock and a hard place comes from. <laughs> you know, the rock of the monster and the hard place of the whirlpool, or between the devil and the deep sea. It's the monster and Caribbean swooping things and things coming together. Um, so his men are, are terrified, they're scared to death, they're basically going, dude, you led us to this, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Did you fall down and hit your head? You know, what, what's, what's going on? And Odysseus is trying to encourage him, and so he gives this speech, and it's a very different speech than what we get from Tolkien. So he says, he says, friends, hitherto we have been in no wise ignorant of sorrow, yet even then we have made our escape through my valor and my counsel and my wit. And these dangers too, we think, we shall someday remember but now come as I bid, let us all obey. Do you keep your seats on the benches and smite with your oars the deep surf of the sea? And he's trying to, you know, to encourage him to get through this. Trust me, I know I'm going to get through this, but it's basically my valor, my counsel, my word that's going to get this done. And, and Dr. Doty went off on this little speech. I've never seen anything quite like this. He went, he, he stopped talking about Odysseus and started talking about us and started talking about himself. And, and he said, he said, listen, this is the key to life. 
this is the secret. This is the thing. I'm going to give it to you right now. And he said, this is it. He said, you've got to understand what Homer is saying. And this is not what Homer is saying. But this is what Dr. Doty was saying. Right? He, he, he basically stood up and gave this speech. And, and he was completely impassioned. And he said, he said, look, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. And you've got to get to this point where you recognize there's death over here and meaningless over here. And you just got to decide. I, with my, my own valor and my wit and my own courage and my own self, I am just going to decide to endure and, and just, I'm just going to decide to get through it even though life is meaningless. And, and I got to tell you, as a 17-year-old kid sitting in this class, I was going, <laughs> with, the, with our face palm, because that's a terrible answer. That's a horrible, horrible answer. Is that, like, life is meaningless, but just, you know, accept that it's meaningless in the face of it and say it doesn't matter because of your stupid pride? Is that the best? God, I'm like, really? That's your answer to life? What a, that's a terrible, terrible answer. And even at 17, I wasn't buying. I'm going, man, that's just, that's just empty and hollow and weird. And what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, this is just really, it was really interesting. And, and I'm just trying to imagine, you know, your stupid pride is a terrible answer. And, and not to be mean, but I, I'm trying to imagine, you know, his parents trying to deal with this idea as, you know, a Dr. Doty toddler, you know, he's, he's, he's three years old, he's exhausted, he's tired, and on one side is his parents, and on the other side is the horrible nap, <laughs> you know, and he's shaking his fist. <laughs> I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to go to sleep because reasons, <laughs> because, you know, I'm, five, you know, I'm not going to do it. It's like, dude, go to bed, <laughs> you know, go to bed. The, the, it's not the only answer. This is not the only answer. But apart from the gospel, this is often where we land. This weird sense of defiance. This weird sense of, I'm going to stand up against this thing that I don't like. Why? Well, because I'm standing against it, you know, and there's no real thing. But with what, what Tolkien is leading us to, and with what Paul is leading us to, there is another idea. It's not just, you know, screw you, everybody. It, it, it's we can actually look at something real. We can actually have a hope that is based on something actual. We can actually see that it's not just my stupid pride, but that the shadow is a small and passing thing. That the light and hygiene is real. And if we can get this idea of being thankful and latching onto the hope of God to be filled with the Spirit, it becomes like that moment with Sam. It's going to be okay, and we know that our hope that it's going to be okay is not just a shadow, but it's something real. There's light and hygiene that's beyond the reach of shadow. And one of the places that we see this, and we see it really clearly, is with music. It's with music. Everybody loves music, and there's a reason for that. Music is, is great. And, and, you know, and, and in this room, often, people will come and they'll experience music. They'll experience a great concert. They will drink a little bit. The joy is up. The inhibitions are gone. And people are creative. Often, they will sing along loudly and off-key. You know? But people might, when they get together, drink, they tell stories. They express themselves creatively. And, he, and as Christians, Paul is telling us to do that kind of thing, not with wine, not with alcohol, but being with being filled with the Spirit. We get together. We talk about what God is doing in our lives, and it affects us in a similar way. We'll sing, sometimes loudly and off-key. <laughs> you know, we'll tell stories. We'll express creatively. And this is a good thing. Every Bible in history, every single one of them, has come with a ton of new music. A ton of new music. If you think about the great hymns, How Great Thou Art, Amazing Grace, all that stuff, you can trace it back to an outpouring of God's Spirit at that time. There was this wonderful thing of, of uh, the, the Methodist Awakenings and Charles Wesley um, with those things. 
so I just want to, uh, to quickly talk uh, about music um, on a practical level and why it's good for us for a few reasons. You know, if we ask the question, why do we, why do we worship? And, and, and churches have worshipped from the very beginning. They did music in synagogues before the Christian church was even a thing. And in the first, for the first century church, what did they do? They got together, they sang, they prayed, they did, they did teaching. Very similar to what we do now. We do it with, with, a, with a screen and, and a microphone. But it's what we actually do is actually very similar to what the church did in the first century. But if you ask the question, why do we worship? It's not because God is nervous or because he does, he's, not, he's unsure of himself and we're trying to buck him up a little bit. We're trying to make him feel better about this. It's actually good for us. And it actually aligns us and orders us in, in the truth and in real things, in the hope and the gratitude that we're talking about. But it's not about, it's not about us, it's about him. So here are a few things about music and worship. Uh, the first thing is, if you think about just your day-to-day life, or I can say this, if I think about my day-to-day life, um, it is often all about me. You know, it's the things that bother me, it's the things that I'm doing, it's the stuff that I'm working on. Um, but for 20 minutes in a corporate worship service, it's not about us. It's not about us just for a few minutes. And man, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for me. It's really healthy. This isn't about us. Just for, just for a few minutes, it's about God and his majesty and his glory. And if we can set ourselves aside, even for a few minutes, it can really reorient us in a really healthy way. Second thing that's really fun about music, and, music and especially corporate music, is that it's something that we can do that's in common. Look, look, we just put words on the screen that we think we have back. So thank you for the actually getting the screen going. Yay! Um, we, uh, if we just read things together out loud for, say, 25 minutes, <laughs> you know, at minute two, that would get really tedious. We would just be like, oh my goodness, we're all reading in a monotone, we're reading together, and you know, it's great. But we can do music for 20 minutes. It can actually be, it can actually even be a lot of fun. It can be really profound. It can be meaningful. Um, music just opens a way for us to do things together, to sing the same words at the same time, to enjoy something together that's really healthy, and it's something that we can do in common. The third thing is this. Music um, has a way of connecting us emotionally in a really healthy way. It provides healthy emotional release. It provides emotional, a place for emotional expression and content. But it does that under the covering of God's love. And, and in the context of worship, it, it really, it balances emotional stuff in a way that's really interesting. Because uh, look, the, the problem with emotional introspection is <laughs> this, not that's what you find a point on, but ultimately it's really selfish, right? You know, it's about me and me and my feelings, and I'm feeling this way. Let's unpack my feelings. Let's sit with me and my feelings and, and the meanness of my, my me feelings. And and at some point, you're gazing at your navel. At some point, this turns a corner, and it's not as good for us as it could be, right? But if we if we engage our emotions, and really engage them, I'm not saying happy, but if we do that, and we can have that surrounded by and accompanied by God's love for us, his word to us, his truth for us, it's an excellent reminder, and it packages our emotions in a way that we don't get to any other way. It's not just... We're in the bus stop, crying in the rain, you know, all by ourselves. It's like, no, we're letting our hearts reorder in this presence. And it can take us emotionally from bad place to good place. And it can do it very quickly. And it can be really healing for us and really good for us. David in the Psalms 
There's 150 Psalms in 100 of them. David is in distress, right? He's upset about something, just like we are. And, and very quickly, he puts that in the context of worship, and he's okay. A verse in a chorus, and he's doing better. And it's not just spin. He's actually experiencing this. He really is experiencing this. And we can too. We really can. It, it can be the token quote. We can have in music and in worship the moment where we're in the land of darkness and a star shines through, clear and cold and reminds us of the real world again. We can see things beyond the thing. One thing about music that's really fun is it teaches us about, about service, um, especially worship music. It's never, it's never about itself. But you see this in, particularly in harmony or in instruments that are more supportive. Unless you're Victor Wooten, the bass is not about itself. <laughs> it's about serving. It's about serving the song. It's about serving what's happening. And, and it's really nice. Uh, you know, if, if we had more time, I'd have Anne Marie come up here and sing a harmony line without the melody. And it just sounds odd. It just sounds strange. And then you sing it with the melody, and it's beautiful, right? Because it, it, the harmony is not about itself. It's about serving the larger context of the song and the service that's not about itself. Becomes beautiful. Uh, fifth thing is this, that is a fun thing about music. Great creativity, things that we really enjoy, stuff that's done excellently or well that captures an aspect of the truth. It's an open door for invitation, right? I mean, how many how many times do you have a conversation like this? I saw this great movie. Oh my goodness, you need to see the great movie. Or you know, it's like Marley every week will have people. People will drag other people here that they saw a band, they love the band, and they want other people to see the band. We love to share it when we see something or experience something good. And, and I'll just you know, take 10 seconds to do this. Uh, yesterday, uh, Karen and I went and saw the new Disney film Encanto. It was extraordinary. You should go see it. Run, don't walk. It was absolutely spectacular. It's the best thing I've seen in a long time. And, and the, my first instinct when I saw it was I wanted to share this with somebody. I wanted to tell people about it. I wanted to talk about it. Because, great, our joy gets bigger when someone else loves the thing that we love. And worship and music can be an extraordinary vehicle for this. Uh, the other thing that, the other way that music just helps us practically is art <laughs> is, I would say art at its best, is not done for its own sake, right? It, it, it's, it's leading us somewhere. It's, re, it's a reflection of beauty or truth. It's pointing to something beyond itself. And in art that is exploring an ordered relationship with God, even altering attempts, can have an extraordinary and a lovely result. It ties naturally to gratitude. Psalm itself says to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Uh, the last thing about music is this. If, if you, I, I actually spent some time thinking about a philosophy of music. And so many people talk about how music can connect us and music can be an emotional vehicle and it can be a human experience and it, it represents truth at some point differently. And at some point it occurs to me that my own philosophy of music has a radical element to it that music is an open door to It is an open door to God. Even, even so-called secular music can often be an open door to God. Some of this, the classical stuff that Karen plays, it's so beautiful, it's so true, that it points you to the divine. It just leads you to things beyond ourselves. So one of the things, one of the things that we can do to be full of the Spirit, and that I'm incredibly thankful for, is the gift of music. I'm very, very grateful for it. Second thing is this, and this will be much shorter. Um, the primary piece of being filled with the Spirit is the idea of giving thanks, of being grateful, no matter where you are or what is happening. Um, it's this idea of contentment. And uh, the, the key of contentment is, you know, gratitude, be thankful. 
And that sounds simple, it sounds, that sounds silly, but if you think about it, and if you look, if you peel back the layer to any extent, there's really something amazing there. Uh, a dear friend of mine um, was, had actually put his mom into a care facility. Um, she was going through uh, some dementia, and it was just a very long goodbye. And it was just, it was just really uh, a tough road in the last couple of years. And as he was walking through this, there was just a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of just feelings of helplessness, just like we were always feeling in that situation. And at some point, he came to a place, and, and he talked about this sometimes, where he said, what I would do is every night, I would, you know, I, I would think about the day, and he said, and I would, I would deliberately, intentionally fasten on greatness. I would say, you know what, I have a lot to be thankful for, and here it is. He would be specific. You know, I'm thankful about this. I'm grateful for this. I am so grateful for this and this and this. And he said it, it just reordered every it just changed his thinking, it changed his perspective. It gave him a lifeline to hang on to. And even in the midst of that, when, when he was in a lot of distress and just there were just a lot of circumstances that were that were toughening, gratitude itself became an anchor and a foundation for him to be okay and to walk through this. And it was just this, it was this incredible thing. It was just a source of power. And again, looking at the idea from gratitude, you know, two ideas of there's grateful and there's ungrateful. And I'd never, I ever seen this before uh, this last week. In Romans 1, 21, it says this. Now, now, in Romans 1, this is the last, the back half of the chapter, whereas we went through the book of Romans, Dwayne did this really, really well. But there's this idea of we, we look away from God, we look to creation, we put create, created things in the place of God. And then it goes very badly. <laughs> That's right. It's this, it's this downward spiral, and it ends very badly. But Romans 21 says this, and here it is. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And, and, and then it enters into this downward spiral. It's all downhill from them. And, and the spiral ends in complete separation from God, and it, it has a list of things. And the list is very bad. They're full of envy, murder, strife, and just go, it just keeps going. And, and, and it's interesting. At the center of this, of this mistake, at this departure where things go very bad, it says this. They forgot to give thanks. <laughs> you know, and then it, then it went off the rails. That, that not giving thanks to God is this incredible mistake that's at the heart of the downward spiral that can really tear us apart. And, and we think about envy, and envy is easier to get to when you think about gratitude because it's like, I want what they have, and, and if, you, if you stop for a minute and say, no, wait a minute, I have a lot of good stuff in my life. I'm super thankful for what I have. It kind of undoes the envy that we have for somebody else that can kind of come apart, and we can see that. But then you think about something like murder, which is in the list. It's like, how do you tie murder with being ungrateful? <laughs> you know, we don't normally make that tie. But thinking about it, it's there. I mean, look. Let me say it this way. This is, you've never, ever heard this news report. In other news today, Bill McMurder Pants went on a terrible eight-state killing spree. In a live interview, police have discovered why he did it. He said this. He said, well, I was just feeling so grateful for all of life's blessings. <laughs> you know, I knew that my parents provided human food for me in a safe place to say I'm so very thankful. I also want to thank my sister for when my car was broken down and she helped me out. I was overwhelmed with the blessings and gratefulness that I got a gun and loaded it in, you know, and murdering. Murdery tongue it's just, it's just not how this works. 
<laughs> the feeling, it, people get murdered when they feel like they've been wrong, but often they have been wrong. They lash out in revenge to the person that wronged them, or if it gets weird enough, to society at large, right? But they're never, ever grateful in that moment. Isn't that an odd thing? That if you injected gratefulness into the idea of someone's life, it could undo the cycle of murder. That's crazy. And I think there might be something to it. It, it's fundamentally ungrateful to lash out in this kind of way. It's just not how it works. It's great when it's not stable, it's not in the room. And the idea is that ingratitude is the mistake that ties into all the other mistakes. That it, that it literally is deadly dangerous for us because it unplugs us from something key, from something fundamental. Um, you know, if, if you talk about things like um, plagiarism, <laughs> just a silly example. It's basically a refusing to acknowledge your debt, right? You have a debt to someone, to someone or an idea, and you're refusing to acknowledge it. You steal it. It's stunning, and it's ingratitude. Somebody did the work, and you're just stealing it. You're not, you're not grateful. You're not paying for it. A more extreme example would be this. In World War II, if people uh, caught a German soldier, what happens? Well, we look at the Geneva Convention, and you take those guys to some kind of holding facility, but you feed them human food. You treat them civilly. Which their Geneva Convention is in charge of this. But, and this is alarming, but it, 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 there's something to it. It's like if you're an American and you're a traitor, you're a spy and you're a traitor to your own country and you get captured, what happens? You get executed. <laughs> that, that was high treason, carried the death penalty in World War II. And why was it? Because the people who grew up in your country of origin, there's, there's the idea that we acknowledge the debt that we have. To, to where we came from, that, that this kind of, of turning, this kind of ingratitude is a necessary part of, of, of a bigger evil than even war. Isn't that, isn't that an odd way to look at it? There's something to it. How much more serious is the higher form of ingratitude, the cosmic plagiarism, when we turn away from what God has done for us what he said, the world that he's made for us, and we just turn away from it in ingratitude. We say, no, no, we did this. Like, you know, like Dr. Doty. I will stand with my wit and my vow, and there's, I don't know anybody, anything. I'm going to stand by myself. It's like, no, it's kind of a cosmic treason. It's a turning away from the country of our birth to do our own thing, to act as if we're the author of our own lives. It's a dynamic that leads us away from God, and it's very dangerous. On the other side of it, if we can if we can see gratitude for what it is, it can be a, a tremendous source of powerful. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to be generous with your money. It's hard to be pure. But gratitude is the key that can help us unlock all the other keys. Christianity is not fundamentally a, a, a system of legality and works of righteousness. You know, and we get, we get trapped there. You know, it's like, I have a problem. Well, what do I have to do to solve the problem? How many times do I have to pray to, to be okay with that? How many times do I have to come to church? Do I tithe on the gross or on the net? You know, I want to do the required part, but no more than that. You know, it's kind of legalism. And, and it, look, if you, if you get those things right and do some, make some good decisions, it'll help you, but it'll never bring you joy. It'll never set you free. And, and even if we get some things right, we'll be proud of that. And that can be very bad, right? Looking down on other people who are struggling with the thing that we managed to, 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 get, to get right. But with gratefulness, when we understand being thankful, it changes the dynamic of everything in this space. Because we look at the cross and we see grace. 
and we're grateful. And we're not seeing a list of rules and regulations. We're seeing God's love for us. When we come into the Christian life fully formed by the spirit of grace, it's not just moralism anymore, but, but it's, it's, it's accomplished. It is finished. And we can be deeply grateful. And out of this gratefulness, we can respond. And this kind of gratitude is an extraordinary motivator. It's an unbelievable uh, push and a help to getting things done. If someone gives me a great gift, it's easy to give back. If someone buys me lunch, it's easy for me to buy them lunch. It's easy for us to respond in a very uh, generous spirit of grace when we understand that God has given us everything. It's easy for us to, to give as well. <laughs> in Lake Wobegon, Garrison Peeler, I used to talk about the church there in Lake Wobegon was our lady of perpetual responsibility. <laughs> we've, all, we've all been to that church. It's like, I, I've certainly been to that church. Like both on the outside and on the inside. You know, I lived there for years. It was terrible. But gratitude is an antidote to this kind of thing. It doesn't have to be a grind. It doesn't have to be this, this idea of resentment. If we can really understand being grateful and being intentional about being grateful, we see his grace to us. We see his love for us. We see his forgiveness to us. His power towards us. It takes the teeth out of people mishandling them here and there. Right? Yeah, yeah, they, they you know, did something mean to me, but I have so much to be grateful for. It just takes the power of it away. And it's an it's an amazing antidote for worry. You know, I'm grateful for what God did yesterday, uh, for what he's doing today, but I'm also gonna be grateful for what he's doing tomorrow. And it can take the teeth out of worry. It's a great antidote for guilt. I'm grateful for that. I don't have to carry this anymore. Thank God. Thank God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything that you've done, and honestly, thank you. Let, let us see thankfulness and thanksgiving and gratitude with you eyes. I pray that you would just remind us of specific things that we have to be thankful for, and that you would lead us to this in a new way. That you would help us see the power that it has in our lives, both to undo the bad things and to propel us into the good things, to, to like uh, Sam and the story, to see the shining light of hope, even in a time of darkness, and to turn away from our selfish endeavors and the, the idea that we can do it on our own. We can just be grateful that we don't have to do that. Lord, I just thank you for everything that you've done, for everybody in this room for the wonderful relationships and the, uh, the people that are represented here. And I just thank you for everything that you're going to do as we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um,